Praise the Lord. We uh, once again are going to jump into 1 John chapter 5, please. 1 John chapter 5. We have uh, been working through a series, probably for at least a couple months now, been talking about, about uh, walking by faith and living by faith and and uh, we're kind of, this series has been kind of broke up into about two or three different sections. And this particular section, we've been talking about roadblocks uh, to our faith, the things that get in the way uh, that become, in a sense, roadblocks uh, to our faith working. You know, a lot of times when things go on, people have a tendency to say, well, why, why, uh, why uh, wouldn't God do that or, or do this or not do that or whatever? And the question that needs to be asked is, why couldn't God, not why wouldn't God? Because sometimes it's just a matter of there's hindrances, there's things in the way. There's no condemnation. There's no guilt. There's no, it's not, that's not why you talk about these things. The reason you talk about it is because if there is roadblocks, we want them out of the way. Amen? If there are things that hinder our faith, then let's get it out of the way. Are you with me? So it works right. Amen? Listen, if you're going to pray, you might as well get results. I'll try this side over here. If you're going to pray, you might as well get results. Amen. Let's try this side. If you're going to pray, you might as well get results. Yeah. Right? If you're going to believe God, you might as well get results. Amen. If you're pressing in for something, you might as well get what you're believing God for. Right? Amen. See, if, if, it's, if there's a promise of whatever it is you're standing for in this word, all the promises of God are yes and amen. Nowhere in there, 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 there's contingencies on it, unless it's something on our part to where we allow it to be hindered or cut off or cut short. Are you still with me? So let's look at verse 4 and 5. Amen. Just a quick review. It just says this, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What is our victory? Our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, which has been something that's been repeated multiple times actually through uh, this, uh, this epistle. And uh, verse 1 also brings that same thing out. Who's been born again? Who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Is there any believers in the house today? Okay, let's try that one more time. Amen. Let's shout it out like you mean it. Uh, is there any believers in the house today? Yeah. Amen. All right. So there are believers in the house. Now, according to this, amen, uh, what gets the job done in their life is uh, this thing called faith. All right. So verse 4 again, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. In other words, whatever comes out of God or birthed out of God overcomes the world. Well, you yourself have been born of God, amen, because you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, which makes you now born again. Come on. Which now makes you one of the whatevers that have born out of God and thus now makes you also part of this, this, this wonderful uh, you know, category of overcomer. You now have, amen, what it takes to overcome. You now have the DNA in you, amen, to be an overcomer, amen, of whatever the world may try to throw at you. You have what it takes to overcome. Look at your neighbor and say, you believer, you. 
Hallelujah. See, because you're a believer, because you've been born again, you're now born of God and now have the DNA to overcome the world. Now, this word overcome is a word that is nikeo. It just means to subdue, conquer, or prevail. But get this, it literally means to get or gain the decisive victory. Amen. Everybody say decisive victory. A decisive victory. It goes on in this verse, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. The word victory is the word nike, or what we would sometimes look at it and say Nike, all right? It means conquest, triumph, or it means the means of success, breakthrough, or progress in your life. So it says your faith is the means of success to gain this decisive victory in your life. So your faith, your faith, amen, my faith, your faith, amen, is the means, it is what God uses for you to hop on, so to speak, get in that vehicle, so to speak, to take you toward a decisive victory, praise God, is this thing called faith, thing called pistis, okay, Uh, the Greek word is for faith. It means confidence. Everybody say confidence. Say confidence like you have confidence. Confidence. That's a key word today, all right? Confidence, assurance, reliance, dependence, trust, to believe in. These are all synonyms to this word faith. And that's why many times Jesus said, according to your faith, or by your faith, or through your faith, you've been made well, or you've been made whole. Now, we all think that Jesus could say, by my faith, you've been set free. And everybody would go, amen. But he didn't say that. He said, it's by your faith that you were healed. It's by your faith, amen, that you were delivered. It's according to your faith, whether you're going to walk away from here whole and delivered or not. And Jesus is not uh, playing around with words, amen. He is not rude or mean when he asks you if you, if, it's, if you have the faith to get it done. He's not being rude. It's just a legitimate question that we need to answer, amen. Do we have the faith Amen. To hop in that means of success and breakthrough and progress on the way to a decisive victory to actually get the decisive victory. Well, do you have the faith to do that? Now, according to this book, you have what it takes. All you need is a mustard seed of faith. Jesus said, through that mustard seed of faith, you could have that mulberry tree plucked up by the roots and cast into the sea. Another location, he said, by that mustard seed of faith, you could have that mountain removed and thus cast into the sea. So they're talking about these impossible tasks, these these things that look like there's nothing but a nuisance never going away, always somehow overpowering you or somehow overshadowing you. He says it doesn't matter what it is. According to your faith, if if you got your faith engaged, all it takes is a mustard seed of faith to get the job done. I got the spits already going on here. It's going to be a good one. Hallelujah. Now, the cool thing about a mustard seed of faith, amen, uh, a mustard plant cannot be cross-pollinated. It cannot be tainted, hindered, 
or you know, somehow cross-pollinated. Even as I brought out last week, uh, another thing about that is it talks about the simplicity, that the simplicity can't be cut short. Amen. So when we're talking about a mustard seed of faith, we're talking about a faith that's unhindered. Amen. All it takes is a mustard seed if it's not tainted, if it's not, if it's not amen, roadblocked. Faith is simple. But we sometimes complicate it. Because if you can believe it, you can have it. Come on, somebody. Amen. But the word's real clear. If you don't, you won't. And if you doubt it, you do without it. And that's straight from the book. Come on, somebody. Not some doctrine that Pastor Jerry tried to come up with. Are you with me? All right. Now, if I was trying to come up with one, I'd tell you. But everything I seem to come up with just doesn't seem to work right. But the principles he has always works. And if you understand it, praise God, amen, you can get some things done. So today we're again talking about some things called, uh, called a roadblock of our faith. And today we're going to talk about this thing called fear. Everybody say fear. Ooh, Fear. So we're going to do this. We're going to go to Mark 4. I'm going to come right back to 1 John here in a few minutes, so maybe hang on to that spot. But let's go to Mark 4. I want to read a quick story to you, and then we're going to kind of spin off of that to what we have for you today. Did you come to receive today? Now, again, I want to say this about uh, roadblocks to our faith. You know, we're not at all trying to say that, you know, because there's a roadblock that you'll never have anything ever happen. We're just saying, let's get the roadblock gone so things can flow right. That's all. Amen. So sometimes you recognize, oh, you know what? I was, I was operating out of unbelief there. All right. We talked about that. We talked about doubt and what that means. We talked about unforgiveness one week. Look at your neighbor and say, oh, my. How unforgiveness itself can get in the way and mess things up. That's a fact, all right? Today we're going to talk about this thing called fear. Amen. Hallelujah. So uh, let's go to verse 35 of Mark 4, please. Verse 35 of Mark 4. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. What did we talk about last week? Consistency, right? Not being inconsistent. Because sometimes that gets in the way. All right, verse 35. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, talking about the disciples, let us cross over to the other side. What did he say? Is there anything complicated about that? No, nothing complicated about that. So Jesus said, I don't do anything unless I see the Father do it. I don't say anything unless I hear the Father say it. So obviously, somewhere along the line, uh, obviously, we know that through some of the other Gospels that he, he was in prayer. Come on. And he comes back. So now let's go over to the other side. Obviously, he got a word from God, saw something by the Spirit, or heard uh, a word directly from the Father. We've got to go to the other side. All right? So that's the word of the Lord. Everybody say the word of the Lord. You think he was, you know, messing around? Just saying, hey, we're a little bored. Let's go see what's happening on the other side. He had a purpose. Are you with me? Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him uh, along in the boat as he was. 
I kind of always wondered, I underlined that as he was. I'm trying to think, what does that really mean? I don't know. It's as he was. Well, my guess is he probably was a little tired. It had been a long day, a lot happening. Come on. And uh, all the other little boats were also with him. And a great mega, that word, great mega windstorm arose. And the waves began to beat into the boat so that it was already filling. We got water coming in the boat. What's the word? What's the word of the Lord? I said, what's the word of the Lord? Go to the other side. So did that change because there's a storm? Just because there's a storm. Now, obviously, I think, you know, the way it is, because it obviously is kind of this unexpected thing. It may have been maybe even a you know, fairly demonic thing that raised up here. But it didn't change the word of the Lord. Because a lot of times when the storms arise in our life, all of a sudden that word of the Lord that He gave you just seems to somehow fall by the wayside or we forget about it. Or somehow it must have changed. Hmm. Well, it's food for thought. Verse 38, but he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. I guess he wasn't moved by it. My guess he was pretty tired. Are you with me? Because I'm a pretty light sleeper. I would think a little bit of the shifting would probably wake me up. Just saying. But I do know a few folks who would probably sleep through it. Praise the Lord. But it says, they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Hmm. Sometimes when fear is in the picture, we have a tendency to say stupid stuff, don't we? Have you ever said something stupid, then you thought about it later and said, daggone it, that was stupid? Anybody hearing me? But at the time, it seemed right because of what you were going through. Well, he arose and he rebuked the wind. Okay, he admonished the wind. Everybody say the wind. That's where the problem was. So he rebuked the wind. And then said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. The word mega again. So it went from a mega storm to a mega calm. So it was very noticeable. And it was very obvious that what he said affected the wind and the sea. Are you with me? All right. But he said to them, you bunch of wieners. No, he didn't say that. He did say, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Where's the faith? Now, the reason he had a, the, the right to ask that is because they have been walking with him for quite some time now. They have been around him, seeing everything going on, and then they had the gall to, you know, panic and say what they did say to him. Come on. So he said, why are you fearful, and how is it that you have no faith? 
So obviously we see here fear and faith do not coincide. Are you with me? They don't work together. They oppose each other. You have to understand fear is not something that you try to manage. You get it gone. Okay. Fear opposes faith. And we're going to talk more about that here in a minute. Let's read on. And they feared exceedingly. Now, this particular word here, feared, is actually a different word. Phobio is what this word is. We'll talk more about fear in a minute. But this one here means to be taken back based on awe, reverence, or respect. In other words, they were taken back based on what they just saw, thinking, whoa, that was amazing. Okay? And they said to one, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Look at your neighbor and say, praise the Lord. Now, are you with me still? Yeah. Am I boring you? No. All right. Let's go back to 1 John chapter 4 this time. All right. Now, the word fear itself, uh, the majority of the time the word used is phobos, where we get our word phobia. Okay. Uh, dilos, sometimes it uses, but it's out of that same root. Okay, but again, it means to be alarmed, but this time uh, not, in a, you know, not out of a sense of respect or awe, but more of a sense of panic. Okay, it means anxiety. Now get this, everybody say anxiety. anxiety. Everybody say worry. worry. Dread. Dread. I'm on panic. panic. Apprehension. Apprehension. And insecurity. These are all synonyms of this word, phobos or fear. Okay. Now, obviously, there was fear in the boys when they were in the boat. Part of it because of the fact that they're, for the most part, at least half of them, are fishermen. You know, they're out there. When these kind of storms hit, we got no business being out on the sea. Come on. But they got out there, and this thing arose. All right? That's why a lot of times, if you kind of look at it, it looks like it probably might have been some kind of a, a demonic attack. All right? Obviously, Jesus wasn't moved by it, but they were. And fear creates these, really, a lack of confidence in who you are in Christ and whose you are. Now, hang on to that, because this is going to be uh, a big thing about this. Now, fear is a major roadblock to your faith. If fear is in the picture, it's probably going to cut your faith off right there. Are you with me? Now, a lot of times, you got to hear this because a lot of times we're, we're in panic mode, but we're saying, I'm believing God. Well, that might be debated. And again, there's no condemnation or guilt. Nobody's trying to mock you or make fun of you. We're just trying to show you if fear's in the, in the picture, there, now there's a roadblock and your means of success just got cut off. So now you can't reach a decisive victory because you've been roadblocked in your faith. With me? All right. Let's go to chapter 4 of 1 John, verse 15. We'll just kind of start there, read through some of this. It says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God. Here we go again, kind of like some of the questions we asked earlier. All right. So uh, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, 
God abides in him, and he, in other words, the person that confesses that Jesus is the Son of God. Anybody in here have ever confessed that Jesus is the Son of God? Why don't you just amuse me? Anybody in here who has confessed that Jesus is the Son of God, raise your hand. Thank you. So if that's the case, then God himself remains or abides, takes residence in you. And it also brings out that you in him. Now this word in, let's go ahead and define it real quick because it's going to come up several times. The word in, okay, I-N, is actually the Greek word in, which E-N is the Greek word, but it means it denotes a fixed position in place, time, or in the state of things. Okay, a fixed position in. It means a relation of rest. So if, if God is, abides in you and you in Him, there's a place of rest now, no turmoil, no anxiety, no panic, no worry. Are you with me? Hang on to that. Okay. So I'm going to ask the question again. Is there anybody in here who has confessed that Jesus is the Son of God? Shout amen. All right, so that's you. So I'm talking to the right group. That's what I want to make sure. All right, so we can go on with the sermon then. Verse 16, and we, who's we? Well, the we that was the he or the whoever in verse 15, okay? So, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. So he says the same thing he did in 15, except now he's starting to expand it to get you a revelation of the fact that God ain't just, you know, the supreme being in heaven. He's also Mr. Love. He's agape love, unconditional love. That's who he is. Are you with me? And it says, and we who have received Jesus as Lord, we have known, known become an intimate with and believed the agape, the love that God has for us. Does anybody in the house believe in the love that God has for you? Yes. Now that's going to come up more than once. Because this is where the question marks begin to happen. Because sometimes we lose sight of it. Sometimes we forget what we have known and believed in. Are you still with me? And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. Why? Because God himself is Mr. Agape. Mr. Love. And he who abides in love, 
Amen. In other words, come on. In other words, you're taking residence in that. You're now living this. You're saying, I choose this. Amen. He who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Anybody in here disagree with that? All right. That's good. So now verse 17. Love, agape then, has been perfected among us in this. In other words, he's talking about what he just got done saying. So as a result of the fact that you know love, you believe in that love that God has for you, and you begin to now take you know, abide in that love in the sense of let it become a part of your life. Now you're in him, he's in you, and because of that, love then has been perfected. Okay, love has been complete or made whole, accomplished, fully formed. Everybody say fully formed. Because that's what's important. See, this love has to be perfected. Among us in this. In other words, if it's not, if it's not fully formed, somewhere along the line, you lost sight of what you say you know and believe in. Got awful quiet in this Holy Ghost house. Love has been perfected among us in this. And he's, that's what he's talking about. Amen. So everything's leading up to this. Here we go. That way, why, why, why do we need this to be perfected in us? Well, that we might have boldness in the day of judgment. Okay. Well, pastor, that's wonderful, but what does it mean? The word boldness here is a word that means confidence. Everybody say confidence. Because if love isn't intact, we lack confidence. Because fear is always coming after your confidence in who you are, in whose you are, in what you say you believe in, or what you say you're going to trust in, or what you say you're going to do and stand for God in whatever this or that, whatever. See, here comes fear now trying to knock you off your confidence, your faith. So boldness means confidence, assurance or certainty. It also means the stand, to stand boldly and speak forth. Amen. That's why he uses the word in the New King James as boldness. All right. So confidence. But it says here, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness or confidence in the day of judgment. Day of judgment. Well, most of the time you speed read that, you think someday in the sweet by and by, when I stand before the Lord, that's going to be the day of judgment. But it's not what he's talking about. Because I need this love intact now. I need this thing perfected in me now, not when I get to heaven. Because I have to deal with fear and all these other roadblocks here. When I get to heaven, there's not going to be any roadblocks, child of God. Somebody say amen. amen. I mean, hallelujah. Yeah. 
We don't have to get there and do a bunch of road work and remove roadblocks all day long. I can't wait to get to heaven to remove roadblocks, to pave roads. You know, the streets of gold, they just use a different, you know, paving system. And, but, dang, just work, work, work. No, when you get there, there's not going to be no paving. The paving's done. You're not going to have to worry about roadblocks. You're not going to have detour signs. Now to try to get around this and try to get around that. Somebody say amen. amen. It's here we have to deal with this mess. So the day, the word day means a single day or moment or period of time. Amen. It could deal with anything. Literally, as you look this up, it could deal with anything from a day to a season. Okay. The word judgment is a word that means decision. It's the word crisis. Would we get our word crisis? It means a decision for or against. It means a moment of pressure. Come on, somebody. So a day, a moment of decision. Because right here is where we have the moments of decision-making. Because we're faced with pressure. So we have to now have boldness, confidence, amen, to move forward in our moment of crisis, our moment of pressure, our moment of decision-making. Because you know as well as I do, when the fear's on, decision-making can get really off. Fear has a tendency to mess with your daily decision-making. It causes you to hesitate when you should move forward. It causes you to, uh, to, to panic and, and jump the gun when you should just be staying cool. It always messes up the process. Are you still with me? Love has been perfected among us in this that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. For as what? It goes on to say verse, uh, what is it, verse 18 now? No, verse 17 at the end of it. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Now that's most of our translations to say that. If you look it up, that is not what it says. The word he is not in there. I know it kind of messes with some of your theology. Uh, but it's a fact. A lot of times we say, as he is, so are we in this world. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, people, you know, say that sounds spiritual, but in all honesty, what does that mean? <laughs> okay. But it says, because, because, which means it's still connected to what just got done saying, what he just got done saying, as he is, and it literally means as that is, so are we in this world. Are you with me? Now, I'm not just trying to mess with your doctrine. I'm just trying to show you what he's saying is, and as far as the rest of this verse goes, is going to determine how you're going to conduct life in this world. As much as is anchored in you, how confident you are will determine how you're going to operate in this world. If your confidence gets cut short, where now your faith has been hindered, it's going to affect you in this world. Everybody say, in this world. In this world. See, in this world. Not someday in the sweet by and by. In this world is affected by how much 
your confidence is getting cut short or not. Because when the moment of pressure comes, it doesn't matter what you say you believe in. We're going to find out whether you really believe in it. Because it's in the day of pressure, it's in that moment of decision, we're going to find out whether panic is what hits or whether faith rises to the top. Verse 18. There is no fear in love. No fear in love. See, but perfect love. Remember what he said there in verse 16, right? But perfect, or actually the beginning of 17. But perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Remember everything we've been looking up to this point. See, that love, if it's not been, if, if this thing ain't working in you, then your love now hasn't been made complete or fully uh, brought together, fully matured. So what happens is now fear's on the picture. It now creates a roadblock. And so all of a sudden now that fear now has cut you off of whatever your decisive victory might be. Well, Pastor, you just don't understand. No, 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 that ain't going to work. And you can wait till you get to heaven and chew God out about it. See how far that gets you. Are you with me? But fear will always get in the way and cut you short. If it's not been made perfect, in other words, they're complete or fully furnished, working right, what happens is now fear becomes a roadblock, and all of a sudden now we're going to find out what you actually do know and believe in. And your preacher is not trying to pick on you. Okay? They say, you know as well as I do, amen, that when panic hits, when anxiety hits, when worry hits, okay, when, when all this apprehension hits, okay, all of a sudden, everything shuts down. You mentally shut down. Your faith has been now shut down momentarily because of fear. Aren't you glad you came out on a Sunday morning? Some of you, I think, are wondering. But this is a fact. Fear involves torment. What does the word torment mean? Well, the word torment means uh, penal infliction. In other words, uh, like a, a prison sentence. Okay, It means uh, penal infliction or punishment. Okay, So it's talking about literally like being imprisoned, being locked down. Okay? Okay. Fear involves torment, okay, which means every time fear is in the picture, it locks you down, period, done. That's why the enemy hits you with it, okay? It literally means a right to legally fine or imprison. So in other words, fear will deceive you or convince you that you deserve whatever's going on right now. That's one of the things it'll do. Pretty soon... You think, well, you know, because of this or that. Pretty soon it just shuts you down. And here you are. You have a decisive victory you're heading towards. But now you created a roadblock. But 
If you don't watch it, that now that thing becomes a torment where it locks you down and limits you behind walls of containment. You're now locked down just because of fear. So now your, your means of success has been cut off. And it doesn't matter how you try to try to convince everybody that that's not true. Because it's what becomes the roadblock. So now you have to deal with fear. Come on. Oh, mercy. Let's look at Hebrews 2. We'll come back maybe to that. We'll see here. Hebrews 2. See, to the degree that this is working in you is going to determine how you conduct this here in this world. Okay? Well, Pastor, I don't agree with it. Well, whatever. Let's just look at this. Verse 14 of chapter 2 of Hebrews. Let's look at this, okay? Are you still with me? Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, I'm in Hebrews 2.14, that through death he might destroy him who had, past tense, the power of death. And just in case you don't know who the him is, he says that is the devil. Okay? Jesus came, paid a price, right? Come on. To destroy the devil who had the power of death. Everybody say, had the power. He doesn't know more. But sometimes we submit and yield to him and let these kind of things happen. Verse 15 says, and release those. Not, in other words, not only destroy him who had the power, of death, but also to release those, that's you and me, who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Everybody say fear of death. The scriptures define many forms of fear, but one, this is probably the granddaddy of them all, it's the fear of death. Okay? And the problem is with fear, it says then you're all your lifetime subject now. Subject not to God, you're subject to bondage. Is anybody hearing me? Now, I didn't take away your salvation. I'm just telling you, all right, it's hard for your faith to get something done when you're subject to bondage. The word bondage, okay, is a word that means uh, liable to slavery or to be enslaved unto, to be in service to, or to give the lead to. In other words, when fear... And this particular one is talking about the fear of death is in the play, is in play. Now you've given the lead to fear. Not to faith, to fear. See, now fear has brought you in a place of bondage, has locked you down, enslaved you. Now says, You're gonna serve me. So every time I step out here, you bow to me. You're subject to me. And the whole time you're saying, I'm trying to believe God. I'm trying to this, this, and that. I'm trying to move. But bang, here comes fear. It just shuts you down. And it says, bow the knee. And you're a child of God. You're born of God. You're now a part, abiding, amen, knowing love and believing in that love and remaining in that love, abiding in that love because you are in love and love's in you. But somewhere along the line, when the fear of death 
bang, smacks you straight upside the head. We go, oh, who cares about all that? None of that matters now. But if you don't, if you don't deal with fear, see, I've heard people say, well, you got to learn how to manage fear. How do you manage bondage? How do you manage bondage? Well, just don't put the shackles on too tight. I don't mind if you put them on. Just don't put them on tight. Okay, yeah, you can shackle down my leg. That's fine. I can still move a little bit. That's good. Okay, that's fine. No, 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 that's a little tight. Can you put like a little, can you put a little like a, a piece of leather or some kind of a, maybe some fuzzy thing, maybe, uh, you, know, uh, you know, maybe go grab one of the kids' uh, you know, one of the little stuffed animals and shove it in the shackle here to, sh- to pull it down so it doesn't hurt so bad. Uh, how, do you man- how do you manage bondage? You can't manage bondage. You got to get rid of bondage. You got to get rid of fear. Okay, let's try another one, see if anybody's with me here, all right? How about Romans 8? Have I ever told you how much I love Romans 8? Romans 8, you with me? Here we go. Stay with me. We'll, be, we'll, we'll wind her up here real quick. Well, maybe not, but anyway, real close. All right, verse, how about verse 14? For as many as are led, okay, that word led here is a word that means to be uh, you know, properly led or induced to go forth. It means to be brought forth. It literally means to go reflexively, which means literally having the ability to hear and then follow as you hear. Okay? So as many as are led by the Spirit of God, or say the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God, which means the word Greek word there, weos, which means mature ones. So part of your maturity level is going to be based on how well you hear and follow. Are you with me? But see, it says, for you did not receive a spirit of bondage. Huh. You didn't receive a spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received a spirit of adoption by whom we cried, Abba, Father. Remember, this is kind of like what he said there in 1 John. See, you're, you're part of a different family now. You're, the Spirit himself bears with your spirit. You're children of God, of children and heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. I mean, that's who you are now. You're no longer subject to bondage. You're different now. You don't have to submit to bondage. You don't have to yield to fear. This year's talking about, in fact, the, the Passion Translation brings it up pretty good. It says, it calls it the fear of never being good enough. That's what he's talking about here, okay, or the fear of failure. That's what he's talking about. See, you can be led by God. You don't have to fear failure. You don't have to be fearful of the fact that you can't measure up. No, you just keep following God when he leads. And don't let bondage shut you down when you're moving forward. Because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Because you're of a different household. You're an heir of God. A joint heir with Christ, praise God. Oh, hallelujah. A child of the Most High. Part of the kingdom of light. An overcomer. A conqueror, praise God. That's who you are. Yeah, but um, this thing... I know, it sounds good, but 
What just happened? It just kills your confidence. Here you, you got everything, you got to do it, and then all of a sudden, swah! In that moment of decision, that moment of pressure, here it comes, the crisis, pow! Zing, zang, zong! You got the reference, right? Good, because I ain't doing that one again. Just lets the air out of it, doesn't it? A minute ago, you were shouting the victory, what you believe in and what you know and whose you belong to. And, well, man, you're going to overcome and conquer. But here comes the crisis. And in that moment of decision, you let the air out of the tires or your balloon. And all of a sudden, you're shut down. You're no longer, come on, whether you want to admit it or not, you're no longer reaching for a decisive victory. Now you've been enshackled. You now have to submit to it. All you have to do is just kind of kick it out of the road, but you submit to it. See, nobody's saying these thoughts don't come. But when you tell you, you got to, the worst is you take every thought captive and you command it to submit itself to the Lordship of Jesus. Yes. And when fear begins to come, you say, you shut up, devil. Get out of here in the name of Jesus. I'm an overcomer. I'm a conqueror. I'm taking ground for Jesus. My faith is intact. Let's try another one. Second Timothy. Are you with me? Come on now. Second Timothy. Let's go to uh, chapter 1. Oops, there we are. Chapter 1. Let's just uh, maybe uh, verse 3. We'll kind of read through a little bit of this. I thank God. Chapter 1 and verse 3 of 2 Timothy. I thank God. This is Paul talking to Timothy. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience. As my forefathers did, as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. Now, what's happening is Timothy right now is under pressure. Okay, he's under pressure. Okay, it's his day of decision or pressure or crisis. Okay, because right now the world's trying to hammer down on him, trying to pressure him to quit. And literally, some of his leaders have lost their lives due to their faith. So there's so much pressure going on right now. So he's trying to, you know, remind Timothy, buddy, you can do this. Don't quit. All right. When I call to remembrance, verse 5, the genuine faith that is in you. No counterfeit. No, nothing false. It's all real. It's whole, right? Hallelujah. Which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded it is in you also. In other words, you have a lineage of faith here, sir. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on my hands. In other words, remember even back when I was with you, I laid hands on you, spoke things over you. Don't lose sight of that. That never changed. The pressure didn't change that. A verse we all know, for God, 
has not given us a spirit of fear. Fear did not come from God. And as we've brought out, you know, in multiple services, even I think recently in one of our midweek services, and even something I brought out here in the beginning of this service, the fear of God in the sense of awe and respect and reverence is a different Hebrew or different Greek word. It's actually even a different Hebrew word than this thing of panic and fear and anxiety and worry. Are you still with me? Okay, so when we're talking about God's not giving you a spirit of fear, we're talking about God isn't one that put, you know, breathed into you this thing of panic and anxiety and worry. God has not given us a spirit of fear. You know the word spirit? One of its synonyms is the word breath. That's why a lot of times we talk to you about the breath of God. We got whole teachings just on how God wants to breathe in you every day. Well, see, there's another counterfeit. It's called the, the breath of fear that wants to come in there and somehow breathe into you to cause you to somehow let loose of what God breathed into you. Are you with me? God has not given you a spirit of fear. He's not the one breathing that mess into you. Don't you accept it. Don't you receive it. Don't you use some excuse or make up some kind of a, you know, lame brain thing that said, well, you just don't understand if you only knew. No, no, no. I refuse to yield to fear. What has God given me, though? He hasn't given me that. He's given me what? Power, love, and a sound mind. Well, what does that mean? Well, the word power, dynamis, or dunamis, depending on how, uh, you know, it's said both ways, I guess, with the, in the Greek. But it refers to abilities and, and the strength of God, the might of God, miraculous power. So he gives you strength of might to overcome any obstacle. He didn't give you fear. God has not given you spirit. He's given you power. He's given you everything you need to overcome that thing. He's given you right now, amen, the ability to overcome it. You don't yield to fear. He's trying to tell Timothy, Timothy, I know what you're up against. I know what they're doing. I know what they're saying. I know what they've done to some of your, your loved ones and your friends. But I'm telling you, you got the power to overcome this. Amen. And love. Oh, there's that word again. Talking about strength of assurance that he's ever present. That's why when we get back to 1 John, that's what he's talking about. If you know and believe in that love, amen, you remain in that love. Love himself remains in you, praise God. You always know God is with you. God has your back. You have what it takes to press through this because Mr. Love would never let you down. But when you yield to fear, and of course over the last several weeks we've talked about other kind of roadblocks, but today about fear, when you yield to fear, it'll shut it all down because you have to submit to it. What do you choose to submit to? The Word says submit to God. We brought this out at the end of last week, and it's just worthy of bringing out every week. To me, it's such a key verse. You submit to God Resist the devil and he'll flee. But see, when we submit to fear, what we've done now is submitted to the enemy and we've resisted God. 
we got to resist fear. I refuse to worry. I refuse to take anxiety. I refuse to let that dictate my life. I refuse apprehension. Insecurity. That foul devil tries to slither in there and get you all backing up and quitting. And, uh. Power, love, and a, oh my gosh, here it goes. A sound mind, strength of mind to endure whatever mental pressure of. Why? Because fear creates nervous reactions in your decision-making. And usually it's not sound thinking. That's why they go, Do you not care that we are dying here? Get up, sir! Get off your pillow! We are dying here! No, you're not. You are panicking here. Now you think, well, Pastor, you're just being a little bit rude. Well, then explain why Jesus said, hey, why are you so fearful? Where's your faith here? What he's trying to say is, listen, you should have handled it. I was asleep. I finally got some rest. See, they took him on as he was. You can imagine, he's probably thinking, what a day. What a day. Where's the pillow? Pillow. 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 Somebody say, I could never see Jesus doing that. He walks in a flesh, human body like you did. Come on. His body got tired just like yours does. Come on, somebody. Quite a day. And if you ever operate under the anointing, you know it makes it very, this body gets very, very wore out very fast. Okay. So here he is ministering to people all day long, goes up, has his prayer time, gets a word of the Lord, go on the other side, fine. They say, all right, we'll go on the other side. Uh, I'm sleeping while we're on the way. Bang. Then they wake him up, freaking out. Come on, somebody. And thought they were justified. Is anybody hearing me? Because we all think we're justified when we're panicking. Years ago, what was it? Somebody, let's see if I can find it. I don't know if I wrote it down or not. Let's see if I did. Uh, maybe I didn't. I was thinking about all these words for, for fear, anxiety. Okay, anxiety is um, one way or another. It produces stress, and it says it's the number one killer. That's what the medical field says. Worry will get you to one place ahead of, of time, and that's the cemetery. Panic has always been a bigger problem than the problem. That's what, this, is what, this is what they say. Apprehension continually gives the enemy home court advantage. Every time you're hesitant, now you've given him home court. Insecurity will paralyze potential in your life for progress. Will always limit forward motion. That's what that's just statements about what fear means and what that all that stuff will do. So you can't just justify it and say it's okay, you just don't understand. No, you're now limited, you're now locked down 
behind walls of containment. You're shackled down. You can't accomplish anything with your faith because you're too much in fear. It is not something you justify or try to manage. You have to take authority over it. It's a spirit. I remember one time putting up Christmas lights. And, you know, lots of them. And, you know, you light it up and you can just see the meter. Anyway. So I'm putting lights and I get up on the roof. I'm doing some things, just doing my thing. And all of a sudden that spirit tried to jump on me. All of a sudden, you could die up here. No, I could die if I fall. A little different. It is different. I ain't going to die up here. Not with this view. I had to take authority over that spirit. Somebody says, well, I just think it's, it's just wise to, I know we always disguise it as wisdom. Well, you know, you got to have a healthy fear of 18 wheelers going down the highway. I don't plan on stepping in front of an 18 wheeler. And if you're going to teach your kids through fear, the scriptures have some verses about that that tells you if that's the way you're going to teach your kid, it's not going to end up good for you. There's nothing wrong with teaching a child about wisdom, but don't use fear to do it. Because it's a spirit you're now submitting to. I'll do one more, and I'll let you go. Somebody said, oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> Proverbs 29. <clears throat> well, we could talk about the fear of lack. That'd make a few of you nervous. How about the fear of man? We'll just do the end with that one. Fear of man, what does that mean? Proverbs 29 and verse 25 says, The fear of man brings a snare, and whoever trusts in the Lord will be safe. Okay, a snare means literally a pitfall or trap. Okay, and the word here, safe, is a word that means secure, set on high, amen, lifted up to excel or to be strong. Okay, so when fear of man is in the picture, it attacks your confidence in your security and safeness in God. That's what it's talking about. So anytime the fear of man, everybody say the fear of man. Now the word says it's better to trust in the Lord than to put your confidence in man. Come on, somebody. So what happens is, is the fear of man is a thing that literally, that's why we get our word like insecurity. Because when you really stop and look at insecurity, it's about a fear of man. We worry about what everybody thinks, how they view us, what they think about us, what they said about us. And so what happens now, it shuts us down. We won't move forward. We won't do anything because of how we think everybody looks at us. <clears throat> Let me give you some, some, some verses here. Hebrews 13 says, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? 
Jeremiah 1, Jesus, or the, pardon me, the father talking to Jeremiah, the prophet, as a young one, and he says, Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you. In other words, what he's saying is, listen, you're going to be prophesying some things, and if you get moved by their faces, it's done. It shuts it down. You don't get the job done. Are you with me? Okay. That works for all of us, not just the prophet. 1 Samuel 15, talking about King Saul, and he said, For I have sinned because I feared the people and obeyed obeyed their voice. When God told him specifically what to do, he shut it down, wouldn't finish it, because he worried more about what people thought. Now, we've all been guilty of this mess. Come on. John 12 Talking about the Pharisees, said, For they loved the praises of men more than the praises of God. Because they worried more about what man thought about them. Now, just think about that alone. The Pharisee wouldn't have been so much a Pharisee if he'd have been more concerned about how God viewed things than how man viewed things. Am I right? How about, uh, how about Nick? Uh, Nicodemus, is that his name? Nicodemus, the, the Pharisee Nicodemus, that's right? Yeah. He came to Jesus by night. That's where we get our Nick at night. And <laughs> see if you're listening. No, oh, that's bad one. That's bad. That's bad. Okay, well, anyway, so Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. Why did he come by night? Well, he's a Pharisee, and the rest of the Pharisees are going to say something. So because of an insecurity of what the other Pharisees may say, I'm going to sneak around here and try to get Jesus alone when it's nighttime so nobody sees me. Now, all I'm trying to bring out is insecurity opens the door for intimidation. Are you with me? It spurs on self-protection. In fact, if you look up the word insecurity, it literally talks about being more self um, uh, a self-protection or literally a self-conscious, I think is actually a better way, a self-conscious thing. I'm more self-conscious than I am God-conscious. Now tell me that that won't shut down your faith. So here you are, you're going to believe God, you're moving forward, you're going to take ground, you've got a means of success toward a decisive victory, but all of a sudden here comes insecurity. I can't say that because of what they may think. I can't do that because of how they'll view me. I can't. So now you're shackled down. You've submitted to it, which is nothing but fear. And it doesn't matter how much calling is in your life, how much gifting is in your life, where you're headed towards what you could accomplish. You've just now shut, cut her down, cut her short because of a thing called fear, or in this case, insecurity. Everybody say, get rid of fear. Why don't you stand up, amen, for me, please, and shout out loud, get rid of fear. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to watch the video of this message, head over to vimeo.com forward slash WOVictory or go to Jerry Roberts Ministry on Roku. For more information about who we are and what we do here at Order Victory, check out the website at wovictory.org. That's wovictory.org. See you there.